0: Hi, I wanted to give a quick little warning about today's episode. We're going to be talking about some cheap, dirty B-movies, and many of them deal with topics such as incest and rape. We don't spend too much time talking about it, but it does come up, and I thought I should give you all the heads up. Thanks. (music) Thanks. And welcome to Cinema Oblivia, the podcast where we discuss the overlooked, underappreciated, unremembered, forgotten, and thrown away films of the past. I'm your host, James Eldred. And who's joining me today?
1: Dr. Sparkle.
0: Hey, Dr. Sparkle. Thanks for coming. Why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself and what you do Mm. in, in relation to why you're on this podcast?
1: Right. Well, I'm... Mostly a video game kind of guy. I've had a long-running video series called Crontendo, in which I'm playing video games from the Famicom and Nintendo Entertainment Entertainment System library. And I've been doing that since 2008? Yeah. And in addition to that, I also have another video series on YouTube in which I discuss what they're called the Video Nasties, a series of VHS tapes that were were banned in England for a while, and one of those is actually an Andy Milligan film, but not the film that we're talking about today.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I, I do want to tell everyone that if you're interested in any kind of darker or or type movies, then you should definitely check out uh, his series on those video nasties. They are some of the most well-researched and Uh, in-depth examinations of trashy movies you will find on the internet they are fantastic well thanks yeah (laughs) they're really good but yeah today we will be talking about uh, a film by director andy milligan seeds also known as seeds of sin from 1968 of all the films i've talked about so far on this podcast this is without question the most obscure and hardest to find. I believe this movie was even considered lost for a good chunk of time, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it, when was it found?
1: Well, they found the soundtrack to it at some point in the nineties. And then I think around 98 or so, they discovered a, a print of the, the revised version, not, not the original. This film was, I believe distributed by two different companies yeah, uh, the version that's available now was sort of like the director's director's cut. Uh, then later, another company came along and recut it, added on a bunch of other scenes, and that's the one that was found first in the '90s. And then the like the uncut director's cut version came out pretty recently. I'm not sure where they found it, but um, for a long time, this is only available in a, a very different version.
0: Yeah, the Seeds of Sin version is a not worth watching and it, it, it inserts a lot of, I guess, softcore core, almost hardcore at times, but softcore sex scenes that have nothing to do with the story. They're just there to spice it up for the, uh, I guess, the sexploitation grindhouse market, right?
1: Exactly. Because remember, in 1968, movies were getting quite a bit dirtier mm-hmm. and the original versions of Seeds didn't really have a whole lot of tips in it. I mean, there, there's well, definitely a lot some of nudity. nudity, but no,
0: not a lot of sex.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it wasn't really, I think, what the market was looking for at that time. So basically, they hired some other actors to come in. Uh, you know, shot like some groping scenes that are, are a bit more conventionally shot than the sex scenes yeah. in in the the original version of Seeds. But yeah, it, it was. Com- it came at a time when, like, you know, there was like. Color films were becoming more uh, standard on the exploitation market. So Seeds had a really hard time competing with some of that stuff, which is why they tried to spice it up a bit.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine even for late 60s, early 70s exploitation cinema, this movie's pretty low budget. Oh, like, e- yes. To those.
1: These movies are incredibly cheaply made.
0: Yes. So, yes, this movie is by Andy Milligan. Uh, He was a director who was active starting in the late 60s up until 1990, but I would say, I think you you would say his most prolific or at least most significant time was in the late 60s to early 70s, right?
1: Yeah, he made, he actually shot most of his movies between 68, I believe, or 67, I believe, and um, around 1971, and then after that, like a few things kind of trickled out, but he just worked nonstop for several years in the late late 60s early 70s he eventually moved to la and like shot a couple late period films that are really not that great
0: yeah yeah uh the that that's kind of a depressing end to his career but i would say you know i haven't seen a ton of his movies because a a lot of them are still lost like a good chunk of that early stuff is still gone
1: yeah, unfortunately, the one thing about Milligan is that compared to almost any other filmmaker, his movies that were actually sort of not like you know critically acclaimed, but that nope. were sort of actually popular, actually made money. That that large series of uh, what maybe about six, seven exploitation movies he made in the sixties, mm-hmm. those are pretty much gone, with the exception of Seeds, yeah, and then the Ghastly ones, which is more of like a. A horror movie rather than a sex movie. But I think he has about like six films he made that did pretty well in like the the new york forty second street exploitation market. And those are all lost except for seeds,
0: yeah. And you know, I think you know I consider myself a B movie fan, an exploitation fan, a grindhouse fan. I own all kinds of weird old movies, But I had never heard of Andy Milligan until very recently. Uh, there's a store here in Tokyo that sells. It's like a cult cinema store, and <laughs> I saw a copy of Seeds and that by the the copy that Vinegar Syndrome recently put out, which also has a short film Andy Milligan made called Vapors. And to be honest, I bought it for Vapors because Vapors is about a gay bathhouse, people in a gay bathhouse, and it's from the mid '60s and as someone who's really interested in pre-AIDS gay cinema i was like what this is amazing so i had to buy I bought it for that and then i discovered seeds and was completely taken aback by everything about it and th- since then i've kind of tried to dive more into his filmography and that's when i found out that he did kind of have a cult following that a lot of his films are lost all the strange stories about the guy because he seemed to be an absolutely fascinating, if horrible person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Probably definitely a, a bit of a horrible person. Yes.
0: Yeah. So you seem to know quite a bit about, uh, Andy here. Why don't you give us a, you know, quick little rundown about who the, who the hell this crazy guy is?
1: Well, I mean, he was a guy who sort of, I think he was born in, Missouri. I probably should have made a note of that, but yeah, he was from like you know, out in the middle of nowhere um
0: i I'm, I'm so, he was born in Minnesota,
1: Minnesota, there you go yeah he 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 joined the military for a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's not quite clear exactly what sort of problems he had as a child. Um, some people have speculated that he may have been like abused by his parents. um he seemed to really hate his mother. His mother died. he went to New York he uh acted in some some productions some theatrical productions he was on uh on a little bit of like early television he was mm-hmm. in a, like a made for tv movie with james dean actually
0: yeah that's crazy yeah
1: and uh, you can actually see that on on youtube that one's not lost okay and and then he kind of veered in a strange direction he um he was a dressmaker for a while mm-hmm. then he fell in with a theatrical crowd in the 50s you know like beatnik types And for some reason decided to buy a camera and start making movies. And he did that for a number of years in the 60s and 70s. Then he kind of went back into theater, which is actually a pretty pretty weird story by itself. Eventually moved (laughs) to L.A. and then eventually died of AIDS.
0: Yeah. He was, I think, even in the 60s and 70s, pretty openly gay, right? I mean, he was married very briefly. Uh,
1: Yeah, to, to an actress who's in Seeds
0: yeah Twitter. <laughs> yeah but i you know he looking at at the few films of his I have seen you- that I see a lot of like you know uh i guess the the phrase people would use would be like queer sensibilities or you know uh a lot of topics about repressed sexuality, things like that seem to bubble up in his his films, and I think he's probably as far as I know one of the first openly gay directors in kind of that grindhouse circuit. I can't think of anybody before him. I mean, cause John Waters came after, right? Yeah. And if you like John Waters films, there's, has John Waters ever talked about Andy Milligan?
1: Uh, he's, he's definitely aware of Milligan. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he saw like, you know, he saw like a lot of stuff like Herschel Gordon Lewis, you know, at the drive-ins yeah. when, when he was younger. I don't know that you would have been able to see Milligan movies in very many places back then, but he's definitely seen Milligan films since then.
0: I would imagine that the kind of places that you could see Andy Milligan films in back then are the kind of places that John Waters would want to go to.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, he was his films were made specifically for the New York City Forty Second Street Market,
0: and for those who don't know, the Forty Second Street Market is like the grindhouse circuit.
1: Yeah, it's a weird combination of like, I mean, Broadway theaters are kind of all around it. And there's all these these motion, motion picture palaces that just because of changes in, in the movie market ended up switching from, um, you know, showing normal Hollywood movies to basically sex sex movies and eventually, of course, porn movies.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I always feel like that late, the, right before porn got big like, I guess, after Deep Throat. The late 60s, early 70s exploitation grindhouse scene is, is very interesting. You have films that are all butt porn, you know, very so- softcore, lots of upper nudity, and maybe the occasional flash or Full Frontal, and then, you know, movies like the Herschel Gordon Lewis horror stuff, and the all that, that combination of kind of like just... Really sleazy, but highly, for me, highly enjoyable uh, films. And he was definitely putting out stuff like that, right? Like some of his lost films, are they more horror or are they more sex com- Sex movies? What are they?
1: they? As far as we know, they all sound like weird sex movies.
0: Oh, man, I, too bad they're lost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one thing about that market is, I mean, you, the movie was sold by the advertising buy the posters, buy the taglines. I mean, a lot of times you'd, you'd go see these movies and, and they would never, of course, show as much as you, you were hoping they were going to. Yeah. David Friedman, who was like a, a major figure, both in like exploitation and, and a little bit later porn, said that you know it was like uh, what they were doing is they were, they were selling the sizzle, not the steak with, with exploitation. <laughs> yeah. And then when porn came along, hard porn came along, then they were selling the steak. And that, of course, killed the exploitation market. At least the sex exploitation market. You know, they it, it branched off in other ways, like, for example, kung fu movies in
0: the 70s. Yeah, kung fu and more graphic horror and, uh, you know, just stuff like that, I think, became much more um, a part of the, the B-movie and Grindhouse market. And then I think it kind of just kind of died completely when, when video took it over. And then a lot of the movies that you would have seen in a B movie house or in a, in a grind house ended up just going to video, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. The the direct to video market started coming out, but, um, really for the most part, I think like the actual sort of sexploitation film industry pretty much died. Like, I I mean, if it wasn't completely dead before deep throat came out, that's what finally killed it off.
0: And that was 72, right?
1: I, I believe deep throat came out in either 72 or 71.
0: Yeah, something like that. And it's a 68. So this is a pre-hardcore porn attempt to be a sexploitation film, I would definitely say.
1: But of course, remember even before Deep Throat, there were a few other hardcore movies, um, what were often called white coders. That is They were sort of like pseudo-documentaries that showed explicit sex. I, I mean, perhaps people listening to this might have seen Taxi Driver. There's a scene where De Niro takes Sybil Shepherd into a, a porn theater, and and what they're showing is one of those like sort of pseudo documentary uh, hardcore porn movies that yeah, that were that was, around prior to Deep Throat,
0: and that was a way to get around the obscenity laws, right? If it's educational, then it's okay to show it.
1: Well, yeah, so, sort of. I mean, how how the actual laws worked are, are kind of complicated,
0: but state to state, yeah,
1: y- yeah, it's it a little weird, but um, uh, uh, you know they. Some of these people got arrested for obscenity, and just various court decisions happened, and then suddenly it's all legal. Yeah,
0: yeah. and all bets and all clothes were off. Exactly. before that happened, we had a movie like Seeds, and we really haven't talked what Seeds is about. Uh, It's, a like we said, ultra-low-budget, black-and-white movie about, I would guess, the most dysfunctional family in the history of movies. Definitely one about of right? them, yes. Yeah, de- top five. Uh, the movie starts with a, 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 a kind of a nice house, big house with an invalid, they, that's the term they use, invalid, older mother in a wheelchair, and her servants and her daughter. And the daughter says that they wa- she's inviting the family over for Christmas. So it's technically a Christmas film. and <laughs> Just like Die Hard, <laughs> yeah. It's like Die Hard, yes. And the mother loses her goddamn mind, starts screaming at her and saying, what a terrible, horrible, worst, this is the worst idea ever. You're a terrible person. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. The word hate. There's a whole scene about the word hate in this movie where... The mother says he doesn't hate the kids. He dislikes them. But I feel like this is an ex- exceedingly hateful film. It, it Which, ain't what, pretty.
1: That's, that's for sure. I mean, every single person in this movie is, I, just, I mean, without exception, is awful. Yeah. Is is there one good character in the movie?
0: There is the woman who, who is at the, who's at the clinic who dies. Oh, right. I would have. <laughs> the lady so who
1: like, was uh, killed in a, a botched abortion.
0: Yes, so like in the world of Andy Milligan in the films I've seen, there are two types of people: there are terrible people, and there are victims. And the victims are usually also terrible people. He's the most misanthropic filmmaker, I think, it, that I've I've come across. And like Seeds is uh, uh, just the perfect embodiment of all his misanthropy because there is not a likable person in this family. Right? They're all just com- depraved.
1: Yeah, that, that's something that's kind of revealed as the film goes goes along. Like, when all the, the, other, the other siblings come in, they, they seem kind of normal at first. Some of them seem kind of okay, but then, you know, as the film goes on, they're all progressively revealed to be just total assholes, just like the rest of the family.
0: Yeah, because you got... Well, it's alluded to even early on when the mother asks, where's everyone staying? And the daughter says that, she wants her brother to stay in a room next to hers. Mm-hmm. And the mom says, You're not gonna start that again, are you? Right. <laughs> so yeah, like saying that this movie deals with incest and and abuse, that's that's not a spoil. That's the tagline, right? It's isn't sown in incest.
1: Right. There yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And the movie, I think, was actually originally gonna be called Seeds of Sex. Um, <laughs> but they determined that was a little too too much, so they they switch it to Seeds of Sin.
0: Yeah, so there's there's the mother who's just a beast. Like, she's almost inhuman. She's just a monstrous human being.
1: And apparently and, unkillable, almost.
0: Unkillable, yeah. See, she's like uh, Jason Voorhees or Ronald Reagan. Like, you just can't kill her. You try, but keeps coming back. And that is probably based on Annie Milligan's mom, right?
1: Yeah, possibly. So, so he had a bad relationship with his mother, and his yes. mother his mother died when he was like around maybe twenty or something like that. And it, it's not quite clear exactly what happened. Um, in, in the biography of of Andy Milligan, his um sister in law or stepsister believes that she may have molested him at some point, and that might have something to do with his rather complicated relationship with his mother. Of course that's that's pure speculation, but yeah, yeah, that like this whole sort of like just utterly horrible mother might be an exaggerated version of his his own mother. Possibly. Yeah. It's hard to say yeah. cuz I mean whenever you read stuff that Andy Milligan says, he he definitely comes across somewhat as a bullshit artist and it's hard to say how many of the stories he tells are are true and how much they're made up and how much they're exaggerated.
0: It is it is clear he hated his mother, but yes. it, it, yeah, <laughs> for what reasons? Uh, you know, that's that's he's telling the stories, so I'm sure she could have been the worst person alive, but I it, I bet he made her ten times worse in his tellings.
1: But in general, his films often have like weird family dynamics. Have you ever seen the ghastly ones?
0: No, I really want. That's in that new. We'll talk about that yes. box set later, but that's in that box set, right?
1: exactly and And it's kind of the same thing it's like you basically throw a bunch of people into a house who all hate each other and then people start dying it's almost the same movie
0: yeah and it is like that and a lot of his movies probably for budget constraints as much as anything do have kind of a stagey vibe like they take place in one location it's mostly just a lot of talking with some gore and sex like he had he started on off off Broadway, so I think that's a clear connection there like that's what he's comfortable with his dialogue and you know heated conversations and and things like that and that's probably all he knew how to do like y- there's no Andy Milligan action film
1: right right yes and and one thing that's interesting about seeds is it has a pretty big cast yeah but The movie is almost exclusively like duologues between two characters. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's not a whole lot of scenes where there's like a dinner scene where everyone's together. But usually it's like two people go into a room and talk and, you know, maybe have a fight, maybe have a sex scene. But he he really tends to group most of the scenes into just two people together.
0: I would imagine that's also a technical limitation because he can't do a lot of coverage. He has one camera. And not a lot of lights. I, I, I watched an interview with the other writer of this film, uh, John Borsk, I think his name is. Borsky? Yeah, Borsky. And he talks about he we they had one light. So they would light the scene and so and he'd used a lot of close-ups because they had one light and it was not a very good light. So that's why I would imagine that also is why everything has one or two people in it. Like every, there's a lot of murder and or suicide in this film, but all the murders, you not only is it a mystery to who's doing it because as the family gathers and more secrets come out, accidents around the house start to happen and then straight up murders. And, but you never see like, you don't even see like a hint of who the murderer is. You'll see a hand or a cane it's, it's like he, it's like you have two people talking, a one person dying, and that's the movie.
1: And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I, I watched this movie again, you know, prior to, to this, this podcast. And when I was watching it, I, I realized I couldn't remember who the murderer actually was. I, I, I think I've seen this maybe three times. Yeah. But the, po- the plot is like, there's so many characters. It's so convoluted. If it's a, if it's a murder mystery, it's a really terrible one. Because it doesn't yeah. really play by any of the traditional rules.
0: Yeah, and and I forgot certain characters died. I was watching it again for the fourth time, and there's one one of the siblings dies near the end of the film, and I'm like, oh yeah, he dies too. I totally forgot about that. So like the whole movie takes place over like a day and a half at most, it seems. And in this day and a half, there's nonstop murders and. Maybe suicides in the house. At one point, the cops even come. You don't see the cops, but the cops come, and the mom's like, "What the cops say?" I'm like, "Well, who knows? They think it was suicide. Maybe who knows? Who knows?" But it's yeah, it's it, I'm sorry, just kind of rambling about it because it's, it's such a hard film to talk about for me because just so much happens, and it's a relatively short film too. It's like less than ninety minutes, and. By one time, but and it's and it's confusing at times. One character, two characters that look kind of similar. The two women, Carol and Yes,
1: yeah. So, so one of those, of course, is his his wife, yeah, Candy Hammond, and the other's name escapes me. But they're both sort of plump women with short dark hair. Yeah, and they both have a bathtub scene in the same bathroom.
0: (laughs) Yes, and one of them is. The brother's wife, correct? In the movie, like she's one of the one, who, the first one, yeah. Well, no girlfriend. The first one who died. He's
1: someone's girlfriend.
0: Someone's girl, so someone's girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, is, is she's and she's
1: the priest's girlfriend. I think.
0: Yes, I think so. Yeah, it's so hard to keep up. Yeah, it's the priest's girlfriend. So it, something happens to her relatively early on, and I thought it was the Carol, and then the other the daughter. And then when she comes back, I'm like, wait, I thought she was dead. And also, because, so the short-haired girl who, di- who dies in the bathtub, that happens relatively quickly in the film, she tries to hit on one of her brothers, but Carol also <laughs> hits on her brothers. So it was very hard to keep her own brothers. So it's hard to keep those two characters apart. And it's just one of many ways in which this film is confusing. Yes. I, I, yeah. I like this movie. I, I, I actually, I enjoy watching it. I think it is equal parts camp. There are, I feel a few actually honest to goodness, good scenes in it. I think the acting on some of the actors is very good, sometimes very bad. And the whole thing kind of has a train wreck vibe. Also, when I watch it, do you, do you like this movie?
1: Does anyone really like an Andy Milligan movie? I mean, yeah, I I guess I like it. I mean, I I like his movies, even though it's not easy to watch them, if you know what I mean, yeah, just because of the way they're made. I mean, of course, I have nothing against low production values, but I mean, this movie is confusing, and I hate that there's like two brothers. One is named Matthew and one is named Michael yeah and then everyone's introduced at the same time when all the family members come over, and it's like you you almost need a scorecard to like figure out who's who in this thing,
0: yeah. and it's not always made clear like there's a woman who dies from an abortion, and that her boyfriend is one of the brothers, right? I um, think it is maybe no, yeah, maybe it's, <laughs> I can't remember it's, it's it's very hard to tell who's who, and like i I really wish, like. There is there is a very good version of this movie that could have existed. I, I I honestly believe that if it was spaced out a little bit more, like you could have made a really dark, like seventies, like 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 George C. Scott's hardcore type movie, like a really mm. really fucked up seventies drama, or a really crazy camp John Waters movie with it. It Could go either way, and the way Andy Milligan just. Just in a lot of ways, doesn't know what he's doing, and that's the film's biggest detriment because it's not you can say you can say what you want about this movie, it ain't boring. True, you agree to that? True, a,
1: a, a lot of Milgan has definitely made some boring movies. Oh, yeah, but yeah, Seeds is, I mean, it's there's always something happening, <laughs> yeah, you may not like I what's have, happening, but but there's something happening.
0: Uh, have you ever seen the movie Massage Parlor Murders?
1: I, I don't think so, no.
0: You're lucky, don't. It's a terrible grindhouse movie. It's, it's almost unwatchable. It's almost the exact same length as Seeds. And I watched it the same week I saw Seeds the first time. And my friend who was with me, we watching Seeds. And he says, this movie is the opposite of Massage Parlor Murders. Because Massage Parlor Murders is the worst movie ever made for him. Because it is 90 minutes long and nothing happens. Seeds is about 90 minutes long and everything happens.
2: Yeah,
1: too much happens.
0: Too much happens. And as it progresses, I like, I feel like you know, as as it starts as you start to really see the true depravity of the family, it crosses the Rubicon to being like maybe for a minute it's disturbing. You know, but once you start to get like to Buster, the youngest one, mm-hmm. and all his his all his problems, like the movie just goes so far off the deep end. It, it, it was already in the deep end. It's now it's in like the abyss of depravity, and you can't even take it seriously anymore. The stuff with Buster is just crazy,
1: right, yeah, and and he's again one of those characters who at first appears thim- sympathetic. Yeah, but then of course, you know, as it progresses, I mean, he's just as bad as all of them.
0: Yeah, he he has he's the youngest one. He's like he's still a minor, I think. It, like the character, not the actor, but the character is still in school, and you find out he's been kicked out of every school for having unnatural relations with other students, um, blackmail. They suspect he burned a place down, and
1: he's a bad he's seed.
0: He's a bad, he's the he is the baddest of the bad seeds, maybe. But he he, he he's talking to his his brother Michael, who probably ab- abused him.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty strongly implied.
0: Yeah, pretty strongly implied that's this. It's the second incest no, wait, in the No, movie. Mi-
1: Michael or Matthew,
0: the priest. I the priest forgot. is Matthew. Okay, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael. Yeah, Michael's the other incestuous brother. I'm sorry, I got him. It's hard to keep up and yeah, on-
1: honestly you really need like a program to tell who's been molesting who in this movie
0: <laughs> yes. a very bad family tree um those branches connect oh no no uh but he's like they don't understand me at school i find beauty in everything five second pause hitler had the right idea <laughs> like, whoa 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 <laughs> alan and rosalie Bazzini present a film so unbelievably real proving that the
1: most savage animal on earth is man the borderline so narrow between human desires and animal acts mark these people for destruction <laughs> now hey something about the actors here so
0: okay yeah please the, there's please, a please. weird I need
1: to know- variety of actors in, in this like like you know a lot of theatrical people and then but Milligan also had um, sort of the habit of like just like picking out random people. Like I think maybe like Hal Borski said, he would like walk into like the, the butcher shop and go, you know, hey, you and you, do you want to be in a movie? And, and the actor who played um, the kid, what was his name again?
0: Buster. They Buster, call him Buster. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. just
1: like a random uh, guy in Staten Island that <laughs> Milligan ran into and said, hey, do you want to be in a movie?
0: Do, do you- do you think that's actually the, the how he met him? Well, well no, I, I think he,
1: like, literally... And, and, I like, think there's another guy who is um, uh, Jesse Bigelow, who plays the Mortimer. eye-patched caretaker. Yeah, Mortimer. Mortimer, yes. He owned an antique shop in Staten Island. And again, he was just a guy that, you know... Milligan walked into it. He was like buying something from his shop and said, "Hey, you have a, a face for movies. Do you want to be in a movie,
0: sir? Why not?" My my point with I was what I was alluding to with Buster uh, Gene Connolly is that you know maybe Andy Milligan met met this barely over eighteen looking person someplace else.
1: It, well, yeah, that that's that's certainly a possibility. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> and, and I mean, Andy Milligan is, I mean, not to sort of bring someone's personal life, even though he had like, he was very overt about his personal life. But I mean, he was definitely a guy who got around.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was listening to the commentary for Monstrosity. Uh, the commentary for that movie is better than a movie because uh, I think one of the people on it is his, the the person who wrote that book about him. So, oh, right. Yeah.
1: Jimmy, uh, Jim, his name is Jimmy McDonough, I think.
0: I forget. I think so. Yeah. But he talks about uh, Andy Milligan couldn't drive; he never had his license. Right, and they're living yeah. in L.A., and he would take he would drive Andy Milligan to go cruising.
2: Mm,
1: yes, yeah, so yeah, and Milligan was definitely a cruiser.
0: Yeah, and in, when I, in, in case parlance, cruising is not like driving around in your car for fun, American graffiti style. I mean, cruising as in cruising for sex. Right. Yes, just make you know, not uh, everyone uh, might know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing is. um now, in New York, New York City, in like the seventies and stuff, um, pornographic movies played straight porn movies for the most part. But yeah. inside the theaters, there was a lot of gay cruising. And uh, as someone pointed out, if you went to one of these films, you did not want to sit like below the balcony. I mean, the, these places where I mean, Milligan would go to these theaters, and he'd be there for hours, and his. Um, Maybe Hal Borski or someone said, you know, he he never he never took a seat for the entire time he was there. He was simply, you know, working, you know, working the aisles or whatever. So he was definitely a guy who who got around a lot and seemed to have like a a a pretty high sex drive, I would say.
0: And and a few of the people in this movie did porn. I was looking on the IMDb and because it's it's like I it could be wrong because they could all have fake names, you know? Who knows? but the actor who plays the doctor um dr cram oh
1: yeah paul paul Eden. Yeah, i don't i don't know who he is did, did he do porn
0: yeah he's in a it's well he's in an so he's in an x-rated film so but the reviews on imdb is like not for me too many flaccid cocks so <laughs> i would imagine <laughs> It's probably a porn. It's funny
1: because, you know, when I, when I saw that scene with him, I, you know, he's like dressed with like the the, the lab, the white coat and the, the ciscope. And he looks like he'd be playing a doctor in a porn movie. J- just like his he whole. Looks, yeah,
0: yeah. He looks like Donald Trump's doctor. Oh. <laughs> like that picture of that guy. Yeah. So like he did porn. I think Gene Connolly did porn. Did anybody in this movie ever act in quote unquote real films?
1: Well, I mean, there, there were some people who, who did do, um, not necessarily in this movie, mm-hmm. but um, most of the people in this had theatrical careers, but there were a few people who had you know, roles in Milligan movies that, that went on to, to something else.
0: The actor who plays Matthew, he was in, like, I checked out his IMDb, and he had some TV work. He's <laughs> in an episode of the Bob Newhart show. Right. Wonder Woman uh, Mrs. Columbo, everyone's favorite, the Andy, and Lou Grant. So that's not a bad career for TV, you know? It could yeah, do a yeah, lot Fl- worse.
1: Flanagan's an interesting, uh, interesting example. I mean, the, the, the cast of this movie varies from, like, complete unknowns
0: uh-huh.
1: to award-winning actors such as Neil Flanagan. Okay. And he had a really long career in, in Off-Broadway and Off-Off-Broadway. Oh. Uh, and he actually won i believe two obie awards.
0: Oh wow, i didn't and know
1: that. For the the people out there who don't know anything about this and maybe we should discuss what off off broadway is. Yeah, uh, the obie to. awards are the off broadway tonys basically. Okay. He won one award in the 70s and then one award in the uh, maybe maybe in the late 60s i forget what they were for. But yeah, i mean th- this guy was like a legit actor and he's actually pretty good in this movie
0: yeah yeah like he's one of the better actors i think him i think candy hammond playing carol uh she has a really hard role and i think she's good and i think the actor who plays michael he sometimes like when he's talking about his wife dying and he's like well i don't know like he's not (laughs) that he's not that good there but in the some of the scenes with carol i think he's very good who plays the mom
1: Oh yes, the mother is. Um, uh, what is her first name? Uh, Maggie. Maggie Rogers. Okay. And and Maggie was again another another actress that that Andy knew from his his career in theater. And she was um so he had worked with her in um, Cafe Chino, which is probably something we should discuss at some point. But yeah, she was yeah. A, a you know a, a talented professional actor who worked in off off Broadway.
0: Yeah, so yeah, what is Café Chino? I heard of that when I was watching some of the special features for Seeds.
1: So yeah, so for the people who don't really know about theater in New York, maybe we, I can just sort of explain real quick what, what this do. means. So, you know, there's like 42nd Street, and then it, you know, uh, it crosses Broadway. And, and the area around that area is sometimes called like the Broadway Box. And there's a lot of like large theaters there. That's where you go to see like your big hit Broadway shows. Okay. And you know, if you want to see cats, you'd go to uh, you know in that area, like around Broadway. Mm -hmm. And these are typically like the big, expensive shows with with big name actors that run for years and years and years. And the thing about Broadway is, I mean, it's it's kind of boring because it's always you know these 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 shows have to play to like a big crowd. So at some point around the '50s, there became what's called the Off Broadway theaters, which are smaller theaters, maybe a bit further out, and they would show not necessarily experimental stuff, but stuff that wouldn't really, it was going to be lower budget stuff with, with lesser known actors. And a lot of off Broadway plays actually went on to become successful Broadway plays. Like they started in, in off Broadway, for example, hair was originally an yeah. off Broadway. I believe rent, a, a lot of yeah. that kind of stuff.
0: Rent. Yeah. But rent, rent was off Broadway. Yeah.
1: And then even worse or even smaller, then off broadway <laughs> is off off broadway and that was more or less started they say by by cafe chino and that okay. was run by a guy whose last name was chino i forget what his first name is um and okay. it was a coffee house like a small coffee house and basically he and his friends just resorted to you know basically start doing theatrical productions there and and that kind of sort of like started you know what we now call the off off broadway uh you know, sort of movement where you got much more into like experimental stuff. It's kind of like you could do anything in an off off Broadway because there were very very low budgets, small audiences. and these things would have been like really intimate,
0: yeah, and the kind of people going there are looking for something different
1: I- exactly, yes. and I think yeah. maybe the biggest figure that um came out of off off Broadway was um a Sam Shepard, I believe started oh, an oh, off off okay.
0: Broadway. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow.
1: Bernadette Peters started an off off Broadway. And of course, who, who Andy else? Milligan
0: who started. Who was the second one you said? Oh, uh, Bernadette Peters. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. My dad loves her.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, who, who doesn't?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Andy Milligan's brought so his off off Broadway stuff was any of it regarded in any kind of positive light? Well, well like,
1: sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they, Cafe Chino was a hip spot. Mm-hmm. And he was one of a he made you know did quite a few productions in Cafe Chino, and supposedly it was all pretty intense. And and kind of what happened is he was actually a dressmaker and opened up a, a relatively successful dress shop in New York, and it had a couple. Um, he opened up a couple additional shops around around town, and one of this happened to be like down the street from Cafe Chino, so he started coming in there, and then decided, hey, you know, I've worked in TV, I've worked on uh, musicals a little. Or, or, theater a little bit. So he started uh, directing shows for Cafe Chino.
0: This is, this is the probably late fifties, mid sixties.
1: Um, yeah, basically mostly, um, yeah, late fifties, maybe very early sixties.
0: And this is the, probably at that point, the one place in America where you could be even remotely, openly gay.
1: Yeah. Cafe Chino, I think was pretty gay. I I believe Chino himself was gay as well as a lot of the other people were. I mean, not everyone, of course. Um, yeah, but (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and it was you know it was like a let um, I me mean, not quite like a beatnik scene, but it was definitely a place where weirdos might hang out.
0: Would it be the kind of place that was par- that was par- that was made a parody in like Bucket of Blood?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, well, that was like what like a um, like a beatnik coffeehouse, but yep. yeah, kind kind of something like that. Even though I think it really was very small. Like if you look at pictures of this thing online, it was like it was like a hole in the wall.
0: Yeah, it's like a, like a bar here in Tokyo that can fit like eight people. I know I know how that is. Especially when I'm one of the eight people, and it's bad cuz I'm a giant. So yeah. So like Cafe Chino was he he did a lot of respected work there like with that small audience.
1: And I mean saying. at that time he was not like writing plays, he was just directing them. So they were doing like like serious plays. Like for example, um like like um legitimate theater stuff. Like one of his more notable productions was of, uh, Jean Genet's, um, death watch.
0: Oh, which, that was a movie too, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: With Leonard Nimoy.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That,
1: that, that's a, that's a weird thing that that movie happened, but it's basically like these guys in prison. And when Milligan staged it, he made them more like these essentially like, like see-through, like, like just nude with like these, this very like, I don't know if it was like, like silk or, or, or something that was completely see-through. <laughs> so, and so basically like these guys were on stage and there'd be like, you know, like these, you know, women, like their faces were like a foot away from the stage. And like these, these dicks were right in their face basically. And that's the I kind of stuff that, that, <laughs> that Milligan, he, he liked to kind of like shock the audience like that.
0: <laughs> and judging from what, you told me about him what I already knew about him. He probably got off on that.
1: It, it very well could be, yeah. I mean, he, he, yeah. he definitely had some, some unusual tastes. But yes. <laughs> that was kind of the whole idea of, of, uh, of Café Chino was to kind of do things that you couldn't do in other theaters. And he guess and he he worked with them for several years and did a number of good good, show, good uh, productions. And Maggie Rogers was one of um, the actors he had worked with, as well as a few of the other people. Like, I think like he met both Hal Borski and John Borski through cafe chino okay.
0: and they're the Borski's the writer right
1: yeah john borsky is the writer and he actually worked with he was milligan's co-writer for a while yes up until they went to london um in like around 1970 they went to london made a few rather strange movies and oh, something yeah. happened and they he borsky just left mm, okay but his brother Hal Borski stuck around with Milligan for quite a while. In fact, he played the monstrosity, the the monstrosity yes. in the movie Monstrosity.
0: That, yeah, because that's like that's like eighty seven,
1: something so like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. 20 but he years was in the he, ghastly
1: ones. I mean, he he was a uh, a recurring Milligan actor.
0: And he's he's the queeniest queen in Vapors.
1: Oh, he's he's, he's, in, he's yes, he's in Vapors as well.
0: Yeah, he plays Mavis. He he's he's uh, he has the best lines in that. He because like. Vapors, which if you get Seeds... I think the only way to watch Seeds... Right, the only way to watch the uh, definitive version of Seeds right now is to get it on a disc. Yes. It's not streaming anywhere. And if you get that Vinegar Syndrome disc, which is very good, it has Vapors as a bonus. And Vapors is like a, a short film about kind of a strange encounter at a bathhouse, right. a gay bathhouse. And it's kind of cut in between two scenes of this very intimate conversation between two men uh and the very queenie uh bitchy men outside teasing them right and that was written written by that was not written by uh that was written by hope stansbury right yes
1: yeah and she of course was i mean she was actually a waitress at cafe chino and kind of an usual character and um she appeared in several of his movies, which are mostly not available, but she did appear yeah. in um, The Werewolves Are Coming, The Rats Are Here.
0: Uh, every, time you say, every time someone says the name of that movie, I laugh. It,
1: it, honestly, I mean, before I had ever seen a Milligan movie, I saw like a reproduction of the poster for that. A- and it's such a weird name because, I mean, honestly, if the werewolves are already there, you're not going to be worrying about rats. <laughs> werewolves are clearly the bigger problem when it comes to, and
0: to rats I read and that, well the rats of that movie are kind of an afterthought. They put in the rats because uh Willard made a lot yes, of money.
1: Yeah, and, and apparently then that that uh that box that's coming up will for the first time be able to see like the original werewolf only movie. movie. It, it's it's a weird movie.
0: And that uh, is yeah. That is one of the strangest like that like the I so like I said, I think seeds uh, seeds is the kind of film it's, it's hard to give like a star rating to because like it's objectively amateurish and poorly made, but endlessly fast fascin- endlessly fashion fascinating. But if, if you put a gun to my head and like, is it a good movie? I would say almost, you know, it's, it's almost there, but something like the werewolves are coming. That movie is just, it's, it's it's Ed it's all it's Ed Woodian in it, the amateurishness of it, and that's one thing that surprises me about Milligan. Watching the like watching Monstrosity from nineteen eighty seven, he he never seemed to learn anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, his movies actually got worse because I mean they, yeah. they became more boring in in a lot of ways.
0: Um, yeah, and, and part mean? of that
1: might be the yep. camera.
0: What do you mean? Well, so.
1: When he got first started out, he was um, I guess running his dress shop and someone came in and knew someone who had a camera for sale. So he bu- he bought the camera. and it's it's called an Oricon and it's a 16 millimeter newsreel camera, and these things have been around for for decades. Uh, they're very light. You can, you know, just carry them around. Um, and, and his style in his early movies involves a lot of camera movement. And eventually he bought like a, um, I'm not sure what it was, but a, a more normal camera that you couldn't, it was not a handheld camera. And then his, his films became much more static.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But the whole thing with like the camera swirl, that was because you could just pick this thing up and walk around anywhere. With it. it was meant to be a portable camera.
0: And it prob- probably if, easier to get really tight close-ups then because you can just stick it in someone's face
1: exactly and, and you can definitely see that when you're you're watching the movies i mean he's just getting all up in, in everyone's face he's doing like all these like and it, it saves of course on on editing is like you know there's a scene for example where like someone's coming down the stairs and the camera just whips around to the stairs yeah. and then whips back so that that definitely helped him keep these things you know relatively low budget
0: yeah, and it does kind of give. I never thought about that, but it is a very kinetic film. It it, it moves, and you compare that to uh, again, monstrosity. It's I I only I've only seen that once once, and it's inept in a lot of ways. But the direction is just boring. Like yeah. it's not the direction, the shots. They're just it's like a sitcom.
1: And interestingly, he he actually he started to work on like a sitcom. Um, yeah. You might be familiar yeah. with that. It is like they, they started working on this and never got off the ground, but he's done a few a few unusual things like that. I can't remember what that was called.
0: Um, the Adventures of Red Rooster. Yes,
1: that, that's it. And I'm sure that whatever's been shot for that is also completely lost to history. No, place, that's on YouTube. anything was shot.
0: That's on YouTube. Oh, you it see is, that. really?
1: I had no idea.
0: I've never watched it. I've seen clips from it. The, the copy that survives looks pretty ragged, uh. but... I mean, it's better than nothing. Like the copy of seeds on the Blu-ray, that there's a disclaimer at the front of the at the front of the movie that like this was taken from the best. It it sounds like the copy that Vinegar Syndrome made is a a Frankenstein print of the best available sources, including 16 millimeter and you know blown up 35 millimeter.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because those things were shot in 16 millimeter, he had to blow them up, and that was probably a a major part of the. of the budget, I would imagine would be the 35 yeah. millimeter blow up.
0: And in a couple scenes, there's like two or three Willy really quick scenes lines that I feel they had to dub in with somebody else because it sounds like the audio track was lost. Mm. So like a couple of times when the mom yells, the voice sounds a little strange, stranger. And sometimes the, the picture is very jitter, jittery and the audio quality is just horrible. But, uh, it has very good subtitles. Thankfully, the movie has subtitles on the, on the Blu-ray, so the audio quality isn't that big of a detractor. And you know, the pixel quality is not great, but it, it gets the job done. I think you can tell what's going on. Yeah.
1: So honestly, I mean, as someone who's been watching Andy Milligan movies since the '90s, the, the fact that I mean, I mean, it was available like uh, on some pretty ugly VHS tapes, you know, like back in the '90s. I mean, the fact that these things look even a fraction is as, as good as, as they, they do it is amazing compared to what we used to have to watch when we, we watched Andy Milligan movies.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you, so like, you know, now with the internet, if you, if you, if you, if you like fucked up movies, you can, you can Google, yo, somebody me some fucked up movies and uh, there'll be a webpage dedicated to it or a Twitter account or lists on letterboxed in the nineties. How the hell did you find out about Andy Milligan? <laughs>
1: You just had to be in the know, but but actually, um, for Milligan, I, I do specifically remember. Uh, it's actually okay. a, a book by um, John McCarty called okay. "The Sleaze Merchants," and, and the young people nowadays might have a hard time relating. But back then, you got your information from books.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: like you would find a, mo- a book about like obscure cult filmmakers, and that's how you'd find out about them.
0: Yeah, that that's yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a little I'm I'm younger than you. But I was, you know, my like I've said before, my dad owned a video store. So in in the nineties I was already seeking out, you know, stranger films. I didn't I didn't know stuff like this even existed. But I was buying books about kung fu movies and and horror movies and stuff like that just to seek stuff down. Cause even when the internet started to be more common, a lot of the quote unquote cult movie pages were more just about making fun of bad movies. They weren't about uncovering stuff or serious discussions about people like this and i i you know i think if you really like something like this still your best bet is probably to track down books about it right like i've only seen one really good article about andrew milligan and it's about over ten years old, and it, even then, it's not very well written. The, the writer uses some pretty bad language in it to talk about this mentally handicapped people, and that's the only like comprehensive filmography article I've seen of him on the internet.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was virtually unknown in terms of like his actual personal life or, or who he was um, until that biography came out several years ago, maybe maybe ten yeah. years ago. I, I don't recall, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he was just like this. A guy named Manny Milgan made all these weird movies, and that's really all we knew about him.
0: Yeah, and if you do anything at all.
1: Right. And I, I, I think I, I saw, I mean, I had a tower video, and there's also a cult video store in the town back in the 90s that I lived in Sacramento. And um, I saw Body Beneath, um, The Ghastly Ones, and I believe a VHS of Seeds of Sin. And that was sort okay. of my, my entryway into, into Milgan.
0: Okay, and like I haven't seen those movies. Uh, they're not very good, I imagine.
1: Um, good question. I oh. Body Beneath is good. Okay, I, I would definitely so, when, when you yeah when you get that that box set that's coming out. I mean, you you will probably enjoy the Body Beneath. It, it it's weird. Uh huh. Ghastly ones is almost the same movie as Seeds. Bunch of people okay. in the house and, and people start dying. <laughs> And it's, I mean, it's entertaining. They, there's a great bit where it, see, they they took a pitchfork and like cut off like the middle two tines, so they could use uh-huh. it for like stabbing scenes. Yes. And they, I mean, they're, they're, it's more of like a horror movie than an exploitation movie. It's like you know, okay. maniac chopping people up. But no, and they're his sixty movies are are definitely uh, more entertaining than his 80, 80s
0: movies. Because like, I, I'm drawn to his work because. I like I said before, he's a gay filmmaker. I'm gay, and I, I've when I started to try to get really into gay cinema a few years ago. When so much of it is post '80s and about AIDS, and I get it—that's important to talk about. It's important in cinema. That was a very important part of about people taking the AIDS crisis seriously. But you can only watch so many movies about AIDS <laughs> before. It's like, no, I'm done. So, like, I want to hunt down his films just because there aren't any, even if there's not any explicit homosexuality in his films, I feel like it comes through. No pun intended. And an important part of gay, queer movie history is, is B-movie B directors like him. You know, not just Don John Waters. People like Andy Milligan, who are almost completely forgotten. And I, I feel like even in... His better or bad movies, there's something you can take out of that. But I, I, I'm surprised that anybody, after watching like The Werewolves Are Coming, would want to watch another Andy Milligan film. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, and, I, I, so I definitely
1: know what you mean. I mean, like I said, if you haven't seen that many, um, Torture Dungeon is an interesting movie. Okay. And it uh, takes place in medieval times and is shot on Staten Island. Yes. in What looks <laughs> nothing like medieval Elin. And, and there's definitely, there is definitely some, some gay themed stuff in that.
0: Yeah. Um, and what about flesh pot? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, so yeah, I that, like- that, that is, I
1: can see how people might like that more than is. I mean, it's, it, it's pretty sleazy. Um, and they actually, I think the director's cut does not have any hardcore porn, but I, I think when it was oh, released, they actually added some in. Yeah, but
0: it's, I feel like I said I said maybe retitle this episode not to be so much about seeds and just about Andy Milligan, right? Yeah. You know, because uh, like there's not much else we can really say about seeds without spoiling everything. Like, right. And in, in I feel like with what I've said so far, if you that should tell you whether or not you want to watch it. Like either you're know, like a low budget movie about incest and and murder and and suicide and abuse you're going to say, you're either going to say, ugh, or yeah, there's not a lot of middle ground now. Maybe just kind of talking about Andy Milligan as a whole, you know, because it's that new box set coming out.
1: Coming out so from, um,
0: Severin. Yes, there you go. Yeah. And that and has
1: almost everything. And the weird thing is, I mean, of course, monstrosity and, um, uh,
0: uh Weirdo. Weirdo. And then Weirdo's interesting.
1: He actually made a ver- film version of Weirdo, I think in 1968 and it's been lost.
0: Yeah. So that weirdo
1: was the remake, perhaps.
0: Yeah, those aren't on there. It's not his L.A. stuff right. in that box set. But section. yeah,
1: those have been released on Blu-ray. Apparently, someone bought the rights to Surgikill, his last movie, and we'll be Ugh. releasing that in Blu-ray. So at, at some point in the near future, literally every Andy Milligan movie is going to be available like in high definition. Yeah,
0: that which we know
1: is, exists. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah the, the ones that still exist which is a complete turnaround from like just a few years ago when every Andy Milligan film you saw was like, just like the worst ugliest transfer you can possibly imagine. And now they're sort of like all beautifully restored. It's rather bizarre that a filmmaker like him is now getting this treatment. I mean, I'm, I'm happy about you, it, but it's kind of strange. Yeah.
0: What do you think is, is motivating that revival?
1: That's a good question. Um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I guess to the fact that, I mean, well, what, What's the guy's name? The guy who did the uh, the Drive movie?
0: Oh, um, oh, uh, when Nicholas Winding, when
1: yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, I've never seen Drive, but uh, he's a big Milligan fan. Um, somehow <laughs> I can uh, see that the, the BFI released uh, Nightbirds and uh, mm-hmm. Body Beneath on Blu-ray, which I mean, having BFI on your side, I'm sure raises your profile a bit. I guess just like everything, just happens to be like in the right place at the right time.
0: I I also feel like maybe you're getting to a point where like, if you if you like it's kind of like you know, let's tie it back to something else they both like progressive rock music. Like, you can only listen to Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Yes and King Crimson so many times. Eventually, you want to start digging deeper, and you want to listen to you know the legendary Pink Fairies or Gong or Magma. You know, if if you like what are they, um, if you like Grindhouse or Cult or Underground films—you can only watch so much Ed Wood. You can only watch so much early Wes Craven or Herschel Gordon Lewis. Eventually, you're going to want to start un- unearthing the deep cuts, and like Andy Milligan is Andy Milligan is the deep cut of exploitation cinema, maybe in some ways.
1: Right? Yeah. Like the, the well is finally getting dry for that kind of stuff, yeah. and now they're finally yeah. having to, to drag out Andy Milligan.
0: Well, I mean, there's even like. Like, there's the Al Adamson box set, right? Right, yeah. And, I mean, that
1: that's the fact that it exists is quite frankly astonishing to me that yeah. someone released the entire output of uh, Al Adamson in a giant box set.
0: I mean, I'm so happy they are doing it, you know, because like, yeah, maybe 90% is garbage, but the 10%, there's, the, there's the, the gold you find in there is always, I feel worth it, you know. That's one of the reasons why I like movies like this. It's just you never know what you find.
1: Exactly, and yeah, yeah. I definitely think that like when when that box set comes out, and and you or other people aren't familiar with some of the stuff, see, I mean, there's definitely some. Inter- there's a lot of entertaining stuff in there. It's not all monstrosity level badness.
0: We we've mentioned monstrosity a few times. Let's really briefly. Monstrosity is about. It's it's a rape revenge movie. Where the people who want to get revenge make a Jewish golem,
1: right? And they're, <laughs> they're medical students <laughs> yeah. who do this like in their their, their shed,
0: <laughs> and it's just and the way they go about it, it's almost like like the guy has an idea. It's like I got an idea. Let's make a golem. It's like sure, like, why like, not? Yeah, you know,
2: can't be that like, hard.
0: It can't be that hard, and it is monstrosity is a terrible movie parts of it all are boring but it is just so bizarre and so out there and and it's a bizarre combination of Andy milligan's miss with attempts at screwball comedy in a horror film uh that i almost recommend it just if if just to you know why why not like it's it's the kind of film that you watch it and afterwards you'll be at a loss of words. Yeah, yeah, accurate. And then there's also Weirdo, which is a remake, and that's just about a weird kid who's bullied, and it's then bad things happen, and that that's not as good. That's that's boring in parts. It it is much more amateurish than Monstrosity, I, I believe. And I can't recommend that one as much, as much as as much as one can recommend an Andy Milligan those those types of movies, you know. But I still, if if you watch other ones and you're like, after a certain point with someone like Milligan, you can't get you can't go halfway.
1: Yeah, I I can see it's kind of like once you've you've seen some of them, you might as well see all of them.
0: Once you've picked that scab, just pull it off. Yeah, and. What, what blows my mind about it is, like, I, I own Blu-rays of, uh, of Monstrosity, uh, Weirdo, Rats Are Coming, Werewolves Are Here, and this movie, Seeds. And I bought them in a retail store in Japan. Wow. Yes. And two of them were used, which means somebody else in Japan, <laughs> somebody, not just me, somebody else in Japan bought weirdo and monstrosity and then sold them and then i bought them and the store that i go to is very niche it 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 sells foreign cult films that often don't have subtitles in in japanese so the people who go there it's a very select clients you know who, who want that type of thing but the fact that they could get more than one copy of seeds and sell it in tokyo in 2020 2021 that's crazy also. Like he has a fan base in Tokyo, apparently. Who knew?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, everything is international now. I mean, you know, twenty years ago, you wouldn't be able to see an Andy Milligan film in Tokyo, probably, but now you can.
0: Yeah, 20 twenty twenty years ago you wouldn't be able to see an Andy Milligan movie in, you know, New York. You know, uh, because they were gone <laughs> so it is it is we are very fortunate to live in a time when these movies are getting released so so people who want to explore the bottom of the barrel or just i don't know how else to say, you know they can it's there if you want it it's it's i'm glad it's there even if it is you know inhuman but and,
1: you know maybe we should discuss his his lost films a little bit
0: yeah, that'd be great. I want to know more about those because I know nothing about that stuff. So please, please, please tell me.
2: Take someone you can hold tight. The rats are coming. I can change myself with will. They haven't eaten yet, now. What are you talking about? The rats. They haven't eaten since I bought to them. And I should think they would be very hungry by now. They think i The man-eating killer rats are back. More gruesome, more terrifying than ever before. But they are not alone. The werewolves are here, too.
1: So as we know, of course, his his first movie was a short, Vapors, which yep. is shot or not takes place in in uh, Saint Mark's, a uh, gay bathhouse. It was actually not filmed there. Um, and I, I wish you know when I have, of course have never been to a gay bathhouse, but I didn't really know what they were like, and I was a little bit surprised. I mean, if 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 it was in fact that disgusting looking inside them, and that place looks like not not as nice. I don't. I guess I didn't know what to expect. A gay bathhouse yeah. look like, but it it, it looks it's, it looks pretty sleazy. So yeah, that and that was not really a Milligan film because it was you know written by um by someone else, and he he didn't really like the idea. That was not his kind of thing, but he yeah. did seem to enjoy yeah you know, getting an opportunity to put like a, a penis up up close at the very end of the movie. Yes, which <laughs> unfortunately at the moment all the prints I believe that are able are are censored. There's like a black stripe across it.
0: Yeah. And that's a, it's funny because I was reading about that. He hired that guy because he had a big dick.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, obviously for, for the, the closing scene, yeah, you, you'd, you'd want that. I
0: mean, And, but then, so he censors it with a bar because he has to, I think. Well, no, no, he, no, he didn't censor
1: get- it. It originally played in New York uncensored.
0: Oh, it, it was. And censored then be- at some yeah. point
1: it got censored and the original print apparently no longer exists. So we only have the censored print.
0: Yeah, but it is a bummer but the censored print doesn't take away from the actual story of the film thankfully. So Yes, that's very true. It's just kind of a shock and I guess the the writer, Hope I um Stansberg, yes. she was not happy with that shot in the first place. Right.
1: Oh yeah, she he felt it detracted from the, the seriousness of of the movie, but I mean of course Mellon didn't care. I mean he just you know wanted to put a big dick in the movie.
0: <laughs> hey, I've been there. No. Yeah, so then so what comes next then?
1: Well, I mean that was originally like shown like in like various art th- house theaters and then she kind of made its way its way to um more like uh, like grindhouse type theaters. And then in 1967 um, he released his first like full-length movie which was he titled it Liz and then it was uh, retitled The Promiscuous Sex. Okay. And supposedly shot for 9500 dollars mm-hmm. and it was distributed by a guy named William Mishkin who is uh, the, the Mishkins both uh, William and Lou they produced a, a lot of movies with Milligan, and he had like a really weird relationship with them over the years. I um, mean, they they kind of hated each other, but they kept coming back and making movies together. And in fact, Monstrosity was actually shot with with Lou Mishkin. He produced that movie. Okay, so their relationship ran from like the very beginning to almost the very the very end. And unfortunately, William Mishkin, um, no Lou Mishkin, the son, was the guy who got tired of storing like all oh. these negatives of old movies and eventually tossed them out. Ugh. And Mishkin's original big hit was a movie called Orgy at Lil's Place. Okay. And and that was, <laughs> I think, lost <laughs> for a long time, and eventually it was re- released on Blu-ray not that long ago.
0: Okay. Orgy at whose who's place? Uh, Lil's Place. Oh, okay. Lil's 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 DTF, man. Alright, go Lil. And <laughs> Is that the prequel to the party at Kitty and Stubbs with Stallone?
1: Right. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And supposedly, I mean, the thing is, Michigan, he apparently did pretty well for himself. So these things were designed to be like, you know, played at, um, you know, theaters around 42nd street in New York. And he was able to get in some of like the the bigger, better theaters. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so he actually made quite a bit of money. Like supposedly, I mean, some of the, the the Andy Milligan movies that Michigan released in New York, they pay, played for like twenty four weeks, you know, twenty seven weeks. The, these things were around in in Forty Second Street and so on for a while. They they were pretty successful, you know, for that small market. And so the first there was Liz, and then nineteen sixty seventy made another movie called The Naked Witch, which is also called The Naked Temptress. And apparently, it's about a woman who was uh, accused of being a witch. She got burned at her. Uh, burned at the stake. Um, Her daughter has an affair, gets pregnant. Um, There's a hunchback in it. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Quote-unquote, Bella participates in an orgy with three men in town in exchange for their promise to rape Beth, who is uh, another character. It it, it sounds pretty sick. Yeah. The uh, Degenerates, which I think also came out in 6-7, is like a post-apocalyptic movie (laughs) about... Five sisters so living much, on an abandoned but- farm um, uh, involves murder, killing people with a pitchfork, uh, sisters killing each other, um, a car being set on fire, incest, typical stuff apparently filmed <laughs> in a abandoned mansion in Woodstock, New York, which is apparently like some kind of like abandoned insane asylum or something. So it also oh, man, sounds it pretty sounds creepy.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is this, it's a shame about this stuff. Yeah uh depraved was i think either 67 or 68 because i mean he made these things fast i mean he just pumped yeah, these things out yeah man and, and here here's the great tagline for depraved deviating from love's middle road they played the games that are only talked about in whispers lsd orgy they came they saw they participated a swingers tour of the far out unnatural and forbidden ways of love
0: I feel if you're going to make a movie about an orgy they should say they came they saw they came. Right. <laughs> I mean I'm 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 a child I I guess. Yeah, looking at the poster of this and it's that's the kind of movie that like you say all sizzle like that looks like if that movie delivers on half of what it says it has you want to see it.
1: Right. And apparently there's a scene where a man like you know goes into a bathroom with another guy and tries to molest him and then he gets his head shoved into a toilet. Um, a woman jumps out a a window to to her death. Uh, there's drugs, all kinds of weird stuff. Um, you know, just typical Andy Milligan uh, sex and violence type stuff.
0: Man, like the fact that that was 1967 and he's doing that. It's it's crazy. Yeah.
1: And one, one guy whose name escapes me had actually seen most of these early lost Milligan films. And he says that like, they're all actually very good. I mean, they were, huh. they, they were, quite well, it was, it was just, you know, a real shame that they're not available. Yeah. But, um, and a yeah. lot of these were actually, like I said, pretty successful. Uh, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me was another one he made, <laughs> um, about a, a, uh, And, yeah. um, just some kind of like, you know, um, like, uh, domestic drama. It, Apparently made like around three hundred thousand dollars from playing in that one
0: theater in New York. I mean, you make a movie about a nymphomaniac in nineteen sixty eight. People are gonna and you put it out in New York. People are gonna want to see it.
1: Well, yeah, and and there's yeah. there like a a lot of a lot of competition because I mean, all kinds oh, of yeah. people were making these sex movies at the time, and there were like a lot of theaters that played them. But Milligan's yeah, films a, were apparently pretty good,
0: and a lot of them. Are, like I I I like I know you also buy a lot of those trailer compilation mm-hmm. DVDs and Blu-rays, and I saw one on there. This movie called The Dean's Wife. Have you ever heard of that movie?
1: Tales of the Dean's Wife.
0: Yes, I love that movie. That movie to me bores the hell out of really? me. Really? Because it's just a, maybe maybe I saw a different version, but the version I saw was just a bunch of dry humping.
1: <laughs> well, it's true, but I mean uh, that that's with uh, what's that actor's name? Um, I
0: have no idea.
1: Yeah, he was also in The Love Butcher. He's he's a great actor, but yeah, no, I know okay. I like Tales of the Dean's Wife
0: okay but like yeah tale tale of the dean wife, tale of the dean's wife it um i don't know who who you're thinking of in that but like the version is there more than one version of that i i don't think so it, it
1: basically like, okay. like the, the, this is like the college students you know they yeah. they try to they they um uh, and then there's the dean and then like the uh the, the the people who come over and i like the fact that like like there's like this like guy's supposed to be like a nerdy nerdy college student but during the sex scenes, you can see he has, like, a U.S. Marine Corps tattoo on his arm.
0: That movie, to me, is is just boring softcore sex. And, you know, I, I feel if, if Andy Milligan was making movies similar to that, I feel that his unique take on it, I would probably enjoy that more. Than, it, it would
1: definitely be a different movie, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what did he do after Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me?
1: So let's see. Tricks of the Trade. Um Let's see.
0: A character
1: uh, refuses to have sex with his wife without protection. Um, there's another like sort of um, overbearing mother character is involved. It involves um, swingers um, and again some kind of domestic drama and probably a lot of sex and horrible things happen. Oh yeah, here's here's the the tagline for a movie called The Filthy Five. I think that was the last movie he made before Seeds, and I think the, okay. the last Lost movie. Uh Uh, And again, this is apparently a big moneymaker for, for, uh, for Milligan, but the tagline is oversexed and underdressed. They loved like animals and fought like beasts to destroy each other. These people were filth like you've never seen before.
0: You know, do do you think he had anything to do with those taglines or marketing campaigns at all? No, those
1: are all, I'm I'm sure like Michigan or Michigan or whoever the distributor was came up with those things.
0: Because. Can you say that one one more time? What well, the the sorry.
1: The, yeah, the oversexed just and right. underdressed?
0: It's just, well, it's just it's it also is very almost misanthropic.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that that's old. I mean, a lot of those exploitation or sex exploitation movies are misanthropic. I mean, it's always involves like you know women who sleep around to get punished for it.
0: Yeah, mo- yeah, I and with with uh, Milligan like I, I I also sometimes when it, when i look, you tell me about these old ones and all about you know completely depraved straight people also uh or bad couples, you know, like the kiss me the the one about the guy won't have sex with his wife with, right. without protection and stuff like that, I also sometimes feel that is Andy Milligan like like saying oh, these fucking straights I'll sew them i'll I'll make something that shows how how depraved they are for a change, not just me, you know, kind of attitude. That's what I, that's what I imagine anyway. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but. You you might not be, he
1: definitely had sort of weird sexual theories. Yeah. And one of his things is, is a, uh, here's a quote from, from Milligan and talking about like, you know, sort of like, you know, attraction and, you know, um, and so on he said at at, every man at one point or another has a desire to be submissive to another male it's a fantasy thing every male has to have that one homosexual contact in order to be recharged as a male that is you 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 lose your male energy by only having sex with women and when you have a sex sex with a man that somehow recharges it
0: it's like a gas tank
1: Right, it fills up the gas tank or it says here they, they have to have that one male contact, that one male bonding to be able to go back and be the male to the women and the rest of the men in the world. So somehow you you become more masculine by having sex with other men, according to Milligan.
0: That that's also something you hear sometimes in there's a sub sub there's a subgenre of uh Japanese gay fiction that is very masculine. Hmm. Uh, it's like because like y- you've probably heard of yaoi.
1: Oh yeah, I've, I've heard the term. Yes,
0: and that's for girls. That's that. That's for girls. Girls read that. There's another another type. I forgot the name of it. Uh, maybe Boru or something like that. And all the dudes are muscle dudes or sumos, and they're all super hairy and super manly. So that's definitely not a un- That is not an unheard of idea in some kind of gay subcultures of like. Super butch, super power—you know—does pa- the term power top um, of of these dudes who are just like and and they don't like queens. They they are the manly manly gays, and so I I I, I have never heard the idea of having to get, of straight men needing to get their masculineness refilled. But <laughs> uh, some of that I rings true with some more kind of assholeless. Gay men I have met. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, are there any other interesting lost movies from um, that time?
1: Well, uh, there, there's actually two unfinished movies oh, um, okay. that were put on uh, Nicholas What's His Face website.
0: Nicholas Winding Ref- Winding. Yes. Referin.
1: That That guy whose name I will I will never remember. Don't worry. <laughs> um, one of them is actually um, shot, I believe, at least partially, at Cafe Gino. Okay. And again, these are not complete movies. He, he like, uh, the, the director actually like uh, found the footage or the negative or something for sale and bought it, and then uh, had it uh, put up on his his website. Um, so anyone interested in Milligan can at least see like parts of these uh, these unfinished movies. And the other one is actually a, a civil war drama that Milligan was working on, I think in the late 70s, and again, was never completed, but there is some footage that hasn't
0: found. I can't imagine like how he could even attempt that with the type of money he's working with.
1: Well, yeah, I don't I mean he may have attempted it, but I don't think it 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 came off very well.
0: Cuz like like the werewolves are coming, the, the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. I forget who's coming and going. Um that movie's a period piece, but at the very... like they he, he found a big old house and they never they very rarely leave the big old house. Right. So you don't have to worry too much about it. I heard there's one of, one of his period pieces. You can see a moped in the background.
1: I I, I wouldn't be, I think I've heard that. And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know which one it is. Yeah. But you know, in terms of like where, where these movies were shot in, of course, several movies, including seeds were shot in Milligan's own house.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same, house. With, um,
1: same with, same with uh, uh, the ghastly ones.
0: Yeah. And the only one, like I have heard, like when we get into stuff, that's not lost, that's coming out. So like, either has been released or is finally getting re-released. I've heard of Guru the Mad Monk before, and uh, I, there was one other one.
1: Which I is think, uh, shot mostly in a church.
0: Yeah, and I think I've heard of bloodthir- Bloodthirsty Butchers. That's the Sweeney Todd one, right?
1: Yes, and the, yeah. the highlight, I hate to, to do spoilers on this podcast, but the highlight you know, is when someone buys a, a, a meat pie, they mm-hmm. opened up and there's like a complete... Woman's breast just right in the pie. <laughs> of course. Why not? I don't know how I... that would happen, but yeah, but again, that was just shot this sort of around places in in London. I think he may have had a little bit more money, like there was like a rich kid in London who was trying to get into movies and finance those, and of course it didn't go very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it never does for him. It never did seem to go well for him. So, yeah, I mean, I hope is there any chance of those movies ever being found?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, lost movies are found all the time. It's possible.
0: Yeah. It's, it, it's just, kind of funny.
1: There's, you know, you know, you're probably, you and most people are familiar with with Betty Page. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. had appeared in a, a couple of striptease movies. And for years, I mean, no one knew anything about those movies. And, uh, you know, Mike Brainy, the guy who ran Something Weird Video, was talking to, um, you know, whatever... One of these old-time film guys who he was working with about re-releasing movies and saying, "Man, I hope someday they'll they'll turn up those those Betty Page movies." And the guy was like, oh, "I have those things in my warehouse. <laughs> never knew anyone was looking for them."
2: Yeah, and that's how they got know. released. So
1: you know, things things do happen. And maybe we should mention the the movie and, and the music in
0: Milligan's films. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, another. It's another. Sometimes good. Um, Sometimes not, yeah. Who 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 does the music?
1: Well, pretty much, almost everything he did was coming from from library tracks, and specifically, um, Thomas J. Valentino is is the guy who almost sort of like invented the concept of library music. He would record all these these uh, soundtracks be used in theatrical productions or in TV shows and that kind of thing. And Milligan mostly used, I think, stuff from from Valentino Records, and he would. Rec- he would record the music by actually playing the record and just recording it into the the sound recorder. And he recorded using two tracks. We recorded dialogue and special and like sound effects on one track. And the uh-huh. second track was just the music.
0: sometimes you can tell it's a record,
1: yes. And if you listen to if you see many any Milligan movies, you'll you'll hear the same tracks over and over again. And kind of an interesting uh, bit of trivia about Valentino is he continued to make library tracks and stuff into the seventies and he was doing sort of like more kind of like funk disco stuff. Yeah. And one of his writers was someone named Walter Murphy. And, and who's that? What's that?
0: Who's Walter Murphy?
1: Walter Murphy. He had a hit with a song called uh, a fifth of Beethoven.
0: Oh shit. Yeah. yeah so,
1: um, Yeah, he was basically, uh, Valentino was trying to get like some sort of like, um, funky disco versions of old classical tracks. And one of them was Fifth of Beethoven. And it was so good they ended up releasing it as a single.
0: Huh. It is, yeah. I, I have occasionally waded into the library music collectors thing because there's a whole culture of people who like to collect library music. And sometimes you'd be surprised at the quality of stuff in there. Um, especially like early electronic funk stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stuff there. Or like the Monday night, the Monday night football theme was library music. Hmm. Yeah. So it is. And a lot of that stuff's on iTunes now and on Spotify, because I think a lot of it's been discovered by rappers Ah. and they sample it. And then people want to track down the originals.
1: Yeah. Definitely some library stuff is, is pretty valued, but most Valentino stuff is, is pretty hokey.
0: And why did he use him then? It's just it was, it was the only thing around?
1: Yeah, the records were easily available, I'm
0: sure. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And a lot
1: of them, it was, it's kind of dramatic. It's, it's a lot of like, you know, type of music, you know.
0: Yeah, there's like one theme of, of Seeds and it plays almost over. The, the music in Seeds almost plays through large chunks of the film. Mm-hmm. And it loops. Like, it's not a lot. It, it, he uses it a lot. That's, he does the same thing in Monstrosity. and In Monstrosity, it's bad because sometimes there'll be two different music tracks playing at the same time. <laughs> on the box set that's coming out, there's a CD. That's I've,
1: Hal Borski's music?
0: Okay. So that's not related to the movies then?
1: I, I don't believe so, no.
0: Oh, okay, that's too bad. I was, I was hoping to get the theme to seeds on my, on my uh, Walkman. <laughs> Uh, and this walk around Tokyo listening to that. Is there anything else about Milligan you wanted to discuss?
1: Well, I mean, I think he's he's a once-forgotten figure that is really kind of, I think, becoming a bit more mainstream. Um, I was not aware of this. I haven't seen the movie, but apparently, in the the Joker movie, there's like a, a scene that's like set in like with like some old grindhouse theaters or something, and and one huh? of the marquees is based around Fleshpot on 42nd street. It's not actually, wow. it's like the same typography and it has like a different name, but it's clearly, okay. clearly inspired by, um, by that poster for that movie. So it's kind of weird huh. that somehow um, there's like a Milligan reference now in like a, a big, huge Hollywood movie like that. It, it, it's, it's a little huh. odd.
0: That is, that is crazy. I, I, I would like to say with his movies, cause I, I always, when I talk about movies like seeds and other movies by him, or other kind of "quote unquote" depraved movies. People a lot of times people will ask me like, "Why do you want to watch something like that?" And for me, the answer with seeds, the answer is a, it's not boring, and b, I'm not upset by it because it's so crazy. You know, it's like a movie. Like what's a good example? Um, that going back to that movie, Hardcore with uh, George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. Oh. I it it's too it's too serious. Mm-hmm. It's or any movie that deals with abuse in a more serious way. For me, that's not entertainment. That's it it can be important and if and if somebody feels that story should be told, then by all means tell it. I when Seeds deals with heavy subjects, but in such a amateurish uh, exploitative way that for me personally I'm not offended by it I find it kind of funny even though it's a disgusting topic and it's a way of seeing these kind of stories without becoming upsetted by it if that makes any sense mm-hmm. uh, you know but I can totally understand especially if someone's a victim of abuse they, they, they might not find the humor in a movie like Seeds they not, might not find the camp value, and I, I totally get that. When you watch movies like this, because you're way deeper in Grindhouse than me, like, and I love Grindhouse movies. D- do you ever see something like this or anything else that actually does upset you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly sicker. There are certain movies that certainly movies that I have found unpleasant just because they seem like they they go where they they shouldn't go, but. Milligan movies are just a little bit too campy, a little bit too yeah. theatrical, and just a little bit too. They have like that sense of heightened emotion that it almost feels more like like opera in some ways. That's a than, good way to put it,
0: actually. Yeah, and it
1: does, you know, like some, something as grimy and depressing as, is hardcore, for example.
0: Yeah, or something that's explicitly shock made, like 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 sallow
1: oh right yeah i'm I'm not not a big fan of that movie
0: yeah i've never seen it because i don't want to see what's in that movie but like you think about a movie like sallow that's relatively it's divisive but some critics love it you Mm -hmm. know they're like it's a brave commentary on fascism like what's the something like seeds is i guess you know from a technical standpoint it's not as well made but why can't that be seen as a commentary on, you know, 1960s American families or right. sexuality or something like that? I feel like in his better films, you can have, the, you can maybe, considering we know so much about the person and his personal viewpoints, I think it's interesting to look at his movies and see what he was trying to say. He's failing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: He, he's, I mean, and you got him at these things. I mean, they were when he did the scripts for these things, he he was too cheap to photocopy the scripts. So the actors would only get like just their lines handed to them. It's terrible. So the actors really had no idea what was going on in the movie. It shows. Yeah. And he just, just pumped these things out so quickly and so fast. I mean, they, they couldn't really be any good, but um, he's been referred to as the, the, the fast bender of 42nd Street. <laughs> Which I, I think is is a is a good a good comparison. It's interesting that both him and Fassbender were, were gay men who married their actresses. Oh yeah. Though of course, I mean his marriage to uh, Candy Hammond was, I mean, pretty much a sham. She actually had a boyfriend at the time. So <laughs>
0: why did they get married? Tax reasons.
1: <laughs> who knows? I mean, yeah. even they don't really seem to know. It just it was a thing to do. As as someone said, Milligan thought it was funny.
0: He also reminds me a little bit of uh, Takeshi McKay. Of who? Takeshi McKay.
2: Uh,
0: he directed Ichi, Ichi the Killer. Oh,
1: oh, right, right. A movie which I hated.
0: Yeah, I don't like Ichi the Killer. I like some of his other films, but T- M- Takeshi McKay is also gay. And oh, really? also released a, d- his during his most, during the 90s and early 2000s, he had he was prolific like Milligan. Oh, yeah, he, like, he
1: pumped those things out. Yeah, I remember him now. Um, I guess... Audition was like the quote unquote good movie that he made.
0: Audition was the one that got, he's made some several like big movies at this point. Like he's kind of become mainstream. Like he he didn't, he, he did the, uh, 13 assassins. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: I've never seen that. I haven't seen a a Mickey movie in like a couple decades, but yeah, I know there was that, that 13 assassins one that, that was pretty mainstream and pretty popular. The
0: Joe Joe's bizarre adventure movie. And Mm. so like he's made mainstream regular films now, but in the, Early 2000s, late 90s, he was also making very transgressive, very dark, insanely violent, just insanely violent movies that at times were very amateurish. I think also he was trying to say something about Japanese culture at the time and not always succeeding, but I found his efforts to be interesting. Not audition, I hate audition, I can never, I didn't finish. <laughs> Audition is the only movie I ever turned off. Um, it's, it's
1: kind of a hard, it was a hard movie for me to watch.
0: Yeah, Audition, like that's, that's just too much. But like Visitor Q or Dead or Alive. Was or, that the one where
1: the guy like does like that three foot long line of coke at the beginning?
0: Yes, I think it something Dead or, else. Dead or Alive is Dead or Alive. As I'm recording this, Dead or Alive is on Amazon Prime in America. <laughs> okay. And Dead or Alive is a good movie. That has the craziest opening 10 minutes of any movie I've ever seen, followed by a relatively standard, mm-hmm. not kind of off kilter crime movie, concluded with the most batshit, fuck crazy ending I've ever seen in a movie in my entire life. That movie's a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it, weird from what I recall. I would love to, I wonder if I bought, my, I wonder if the person who sold my copy of Seeds was the McKay. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Maybe I bought his copy. But uh, I feel we should wrap up. We've been going for a oh. bit.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, let, let me just get in one one quick story here.
0: All right, please That, that you've never do. heard yes. before. Probably. Okay.
1: And this, is, and this is a story that was told to me about, about Milligan secondhand. So I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it sounds like it could be. Um, okay. So, you know, he moved to Los Angeles and was having financial problems. And uh, I don't know if if you are your listeners are familiar with um, Hollywood Book and Poster. Um, no, what's that? It, it's a it's a famous. It's been around for decades. Store um, in uh, on Hollywood near near Hollywood and Vine. Uh, tons of like movie memorabilia. The, the guy who runs it's like a, a big horror expert. He gets all kinds of crazy stuff in. Well, he used to. He's he's passed away now. But it was like a legendary store for years. And uh, okay. well, you know, one day, like he was you know, late at night, this, this guy walked in and had like a ton of Milligan stuff, like posters, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff to sell to, to the store. And the guy, of course, bought it. And you know, the guy uh-huh. left. And he's like, man, I wonder where he got all this stuff. Yeah. And then he was thinking, and then he remembered after a, a few minutes, like, he, oh my God, that was Andy Milligan. And I guess he, you know, walked out the door to see if he's like still standing around. But no, he'd already already disappeared. So
0: that, oh my God. that was like at
1: some point during like his financial crisis, you know, he must have uh. started getting rid of his, uh, his his
0: memorabilia and whatnot. That's crazy. Because not to end on a down note, but he died poor. Yes. And was buried in an unmarked grave.
1: And and he actually had made some money in his life. He started a theater in New York. Um, he that actually, uh, you know, ran for several years. Sold it, and that's how he got the money to move to California. But he, he eventually, oh. of course, burned through all his money.
0: Yeah. and But never, not to keep going, but he, he, he never burned through it on uh, drugs or alcohol because he was staunchly sober. Yes. And hated those things. So I would imagine he probably blew it, you know, on the street. <laughs> could, yes, could be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, again, I'm glad. Thanks again. Uh, I think you are the number one source that I definitely knew to talk about Andy Milligan and I hope that you continue to do those, uh, Dr. Sparkle after dark videos on your other YouTube channel. But, yes. uh, will you have any more of those coming soon?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm working on some more, um, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff. I mean, those, those are like partially completed, but yeah, they will actually be coming out, uh, eventually.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, where can people find your work on the old internet there?
1: well, if if they're smart, they won't.
0: Okay, but, but the channel, but the, the YouTube like channel,
1: is simply CronTendo, mm-hmm. and of course the the movie channel is um, is CronTendo. Uh, no, sorry, what is it called? Doctor Sparkle After Dark.
0: Yes, it is. I'm pretty sure it's called. I'm pretty sure it's called Doctor Sparkle. I, I think After you Dark. might
1: be right. And then, of course, on Twitter, you can find me at just um, at CronTendo.
0: At CronTendo. Yes. yes. <laughs> And uh, you can find uh, me on Twitter arguing with him about progressive rock music on Twitter at uh, Lost Turntable and on my uh, website, Lostturntable.com I'm also on a uh, podcast uh, with uh, Jeremy Parrish and Elliot Long called Alexander's Ragtime Band, where we talk about progressive rock music. But anyway, that's another episode of Cinema Oblivia. Thanks again for listening.